0: HUME'S LIFE AND WORKS HUME is the only philosopher whose ideas remain plausible to us today. The ancient Greeks are readable as high literature, but their philosophy seems like brilliant fairy tales. The medievalism of Augustine and Aquinas is alien to the modern sensibility. Descartes and the rationalists make us realize that the human condition is not rational. The earlier empiricists seem self-evident, wrong-headed, or absurd and the philosophers after Hume fall mostly into either of the last two categories. What I have just tried to do, Hume succeeded in doing. He reduced philosophy to ruins. Hume went one step further even than Berkeley and thought the empirical situation through to its logical conclusion. He denied the existence of everything, except our actual perceptions themselves. In doing this, he placed us in a difficult position. This is solipsism. I alone exist, and the world is nothing more than part of my consciousness. Here we arrive at the end game of philosophy, one from which it's impossible to escape checkmate. Then suddenly we realize that this doesn't matter. Regardless of what the philosophers say, the world remains there. We go on as before. As did Hume, whose gargantuan frame and ready wit were not that of a bewildered, Beckett like solipsist thinking himself to bits. What Hume expressed was the status of our knowledge about the world. Neither the world of religion nor the world of science are certain. We can choose to believe in religion if we wish, but we do so on no certain evidence. And we can choose to make scientific deductions in order to impose our will upon the world. But neither religion nor science exist in themselves. They are merely our reactions to experience, one of any number of possible reactions. Hume was descended from an old Scots family. His biography, by E. C. Mossner, includes a family tree tracing his ancestors back to the Hume of Hume, who died in 1424. The philosopher's later ancestors include a number of unappealing but apparently distinguished Scottish names, such as a Belcher of Tofts, a Hume of Blackadder, and a Norvell of Boghall. David Hume was born April 24, 1711, in Edinburgh. His father died when he was three. A remarkably high proportion of the major philosophers lost their father at an early age, and this has produced the usual psychoanalytical theories. The gist of these is that the lack of a male parental figure creates a profound need for certainty. This in turn causes the bereft son to create an abstract system that takes the place of the abstracted parent. Such psychoanalytical theories can be brilliant, entertaining, and possibly even informative, though about what I'm not quite sure. In other words, their resemblance to the philosophers they describe is uncanny in many aspects, except that of intellectual rigour. By the time David Hume arrived on the scene, his branch of the distinguished family tree had descended to the point where it was living on the chilly little estate of Ninewells. This was nine miles west of Berwick-upon-Tweed, near the village of Churnside on the Scottish border. The original house where the philosopher grew up no longer exists— But the gullible philosophic tourist is shown the Philosopher's Cave down the slope to the southeast of the present house. This dank, cramped, uninviting aperture is where Hume is said to have meditated as a lad, as well as during his later years, when its inner reaches might have proved something of a tight fit for his ample form. If our thought is affected by our surroundings, we would expect Hume's meditations in this instance to have produced a somewhat Neolithic philosophy with claustrophobic tendencies, and indeed this is much how the great German philosophers who came after him were to regard Hume's work.